Well, friends, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please join me now by turning to Psalm 67. Psalm 67. Now, each year at Living Hope, we set aside at least one Sunday in the month of August to talk about missions. And this morning's message is called Operation, God's Operation, Global Worship of God's Greatness. Operation, Global Worship of God's Greatness. I'd like to see a show of hands for those of you who have ever heard a tiny voice in the backseat of the car ask this question. Where are we going? That's it? Come on. If, if you've ever heard a tiny voice in the backseat of a car, whether it's your kid or not, say, where are you going? Maybe you are that tiny voice. Hey, where are we going? Let me see a show of hands. There we, thank you. That's good. Now, what a great question. We should always desire to know where we're going. And I want us to both ask and answer that question this morning. At this point, we are three and a half years in the life of Living Hope Church. And each year, I want us to stop in the month of August and ask this question. Where are we going? Friends, I think if you cut into my chest and could see the desires that I have for this church... At the very top, you would find pulsating with passion that God would give us this kind of a culture. Our highest goal should be to see God worshipped among all peoples. Yes, I desire for our church to be faithful. Yes, I desire for our church to be happy. Yes, I desire for our church to be healthy, but all of those desires have an end in my mind, namely that we would be a faithful, healthy, and happy church so that we could be in a position to see that the Savior is worshipped among all peoples. And by worship, I don't simply mean seeing people singing. I mean to see people's entire lives restructured and reordered to live according to God's word. My desire is that 30 years from now, Living Hope, Living Hope Church will have the reputation as a flagship church for missions and is feared by hell for the soldiers that it commissions. How can a church that has never sent its own missionaries have a desire as lofty as this? How can a church that has never even been on a mission trip realistically think that God would use us and could use us in this way? Am I mad? Have I no sense of situational awareness? How could I think this way about Living Hope Church? The reason is because, one, I see it. I see it. I have seen it my entire Christian life. 
Since the moment that God saved me, I have had a burning desire deep in my heart to be a part of a church that sends the kind of missionaries that scare hell. And two, just because we haven't been in the game doesn't mean that we'll ride the pine forever. I think that before God uses a church powerfully, he positions and prepares a church properly. So if we are ever to live this vision as a church, what must we do? I think that's what God is going to answer for us through our text this morning. So now let's take a look as we turn our attention to the best part of this morning's message, which is the reading of God's word. Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the, all the peoples Praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity. Guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let's go to him and ask for his help to accomplish what we're about to talk about. Lord, we love you and we thank you for loving us. And we just acknowledge right now as we open your word that we're a weak people totally unable to obey your word, totally unable to catch fire for this vision, to see your name spread across the globe, for our church, our small church plant, to take its part in the advancement of the gospel among the nations. So we need your help. Please, Lord, fall on us and empower us. Ignite a passion in our hearts this morning that cannot be burned out, that cannot be quenched. Lord, please open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first point this morning is known to make known. Verses 1 and 2. John Piper says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate. Not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal of missions. To take Piper's quote one step further, the worship that fuels missions must start with the worship of God's people that leads to the witness 
of God's people. That's what the psalmist says to us in verses 1 to 2. He says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us so that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. His point is to say, God, may your blessings be upon us so that we might be a witness to the nations so that they will worship as we do. These two verses, verses 1 and 2, are no doubt influenced by the priestly blessing of Numbers 6, verses 24 and 26. And they are meant to produce worship with the goal of missions in verse 2. What about what he says in verse 1 should produce worship among God's people? Well, to begin, the lyrics to his song remind us of our need as God's people for God's grace. May God be gracious to us. Friends, there is no greater need that we have than to know the grace of God. And there is no greater news to remember that he has extended his his grace to us in Christ. Nothing fuels worship more than knowing the need and knowing the news of God's grace towards us. But the psalmist goes on. May God be gracious to us and bless us. Try to imagine what the psalmist is saying here. God, we are not only in need of your undeserved kindness, but we are requesting a blessing from you. Imagine this situation playing out in the courtroom. Judge, though I'm guilty of the crimes that I am being charged for, I'm pleading for your grace. I'm pleading for your undeserved mercy, your undeserved favor. And once the pleading works, moving the heart of the judge to dismiss the case, then you clear your throat before he slams the gavel and you say, thank you for your grace, now please bless me. In other words, please give me a gift. I know I'm guilty, I know I've broken the law, I know I deserve to be in prison, I know I deserve damnation, but please forgive me and please give me a gift. Who asked for something like that? Those who know the generous heart of the Father do. God's not stingy with his gifts. He bids us to ask for his blessing. And this morning, I'm appealing for us to ask him again to give our church a culture of missions-mindedness. God, be gracious to us. And bless us. Charles Spurgeon says, The best saints and the worst sinners unite with this petition. And he goes one step further by adding the phrase, And make his face to shine upon us. Those who have come to know 
the gracious gaze of God. Do not fear the look of his face, but invite the attention of his eyes. Charles Spurgeon says again, why should I fret when God smiles? What matters, though all the world should condemn, if Jehovah looks upon his servant? A look of approval from God creates a deep, delightful calm within the soul. This verse reminds us who he is and how he deals with his children. And the psalmist wants it to be something that produces worship among God's people that leads to the witness of God's people. How do we know? How do we know that those are his intentions? Because he uses the word selah. Look in your Bible immediately following verse 1 to the far right-hand column. It says selah. This word means to pause and reflect. So the guy is singing this song, which is a psalm. He's singing this song. May God be gracious to us and bless us. Make his face to shine upon us. And then they stop. And then they play and they strum. Whatever instruments that they had, maybe a harp. It was a moment of pause and meditation, of reflection. For those words in verse 1 to permeate the soul that catapults the Christian, into the world to witness for Christ. He wants our reflection of God's greatness to result in the catapult of Christians to call for the global worship of God among all the nations. In verse 2, he says, that your way, immediately after the reflection, immediately after the pause, he says, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. This momentary pause catapults this man into orbit. And he visualizes global worship of God's greatness. He can see it from his view. Verse 1 has taken him into orbit. And there he can see something all-encompassing. Friends, that's what a deep felt awareness of God's greatness does to a Christian. And if the psalmist had enough confidence as a result of God's revealed character in the Old Testament to point people to the graciousness and the saving power of God, how much more should we? Consider this example. In verse 1, he is appealing for God's face to shine upon us, which was an appeal to receive God's blessing upon people, land, and possessions. But friends, 2,000 years ago, God's face was seen in an infinitely greater way as he sent his son Jesus to walk the earth. To die on a cross in our place and for our sins and to rise again on the third day. And by looking into his face, we see a perfect picture of the personhood and the character 
of God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, that God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Just a casual reading of the gospel accounts in the New Testament reveals to us a breathtaking picture of the character of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. He shows us that God is everything our hearts hoped he would be, but never allowed ourselves to actually believe. When sinners got close to Jesus, he didn't withdraw. He drew in close. And since his character is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we know he does with does this with us as well. At least to our second point this morning, praying with a global vision. After a recognition of God's greatness and a reflection of God's glory being spread across the globe in verse 2, the psalmist burst out with a prayer in verse 3. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the world with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Could there be a better response, friends? The psalmist can see it. He can see it. He has a vision of God's glorious greatness being spread across the globe and does the only thing left to do. Beg God in prayer to accomplish it. Seeing the vision is only half of the equation. We can't just see the vision and then accomplish the vision in our own strength. God gives his people a vision to go back to him and say, we can't accomplish this vision. We have to have your help. We need your help. If this, this global vision, we can't do that with our own strength. We can't do that with our own resources, our own power. We need you. Among the countless reasons for why these verses are beautiful, atop of the list is the fact that though Israel saw themselves as the chosen people of God, this writer knew that God's glory should not and could not be contained to one ethnic group. God's greatness should be known by all peoples, nations, tribes, and languages. In these verses, we not only see the psalmist's heart, but we see God's heart, which is for all peoples to praise him. God's heart is for all peoples to praise him. But here's what's so important to see in this text. 
God's heart for his own praise among the nations is what results in the people's highest satisfaction, in the nation's happiest state. In verse 4, he tells us that the result of people praising God is this. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. In other words, friends, God's highest glory and our greatest good are not mutually exclusive realities. And if the psalmist's prayer-filled vision of the nations, he sees them singing. What do you think the lyrics were? What are they saying in their singing? Well, we don't have to wonder because the book of Revelation, verse chapter 5, verse 9, says this. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. When all the blood-bought saints gather around the throne of God in heaven, the psalmist says that we will see that he has judged peoples with equity and guided the nations upon the earth. Verse 4. And in verse 5, the psalmist repeats the same words from verse 3. Let the peoples praise you. Oh, God, let all the peoples praise you. You know, friends, there is coming a day when we will, we will gather around his throne. And people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language will be singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Here's what I want us to see. That's a picture of heaven. And I want us to have a vision of people across the globe singing God's praises while on earth. Currently, there are over 3 billion people in over 7,000 people groups who are currently unreached by the gospel, which means that they don't have any access to the gospel. No Bible, no local church, no news that God loves them and has made the way for them to be in relationship with him, made the way for them to be made right with him, to have peace with him, to have friendship with him, to have a relationship with him. Not only will these people Never hear the glories of what God has done for them in the gospel. Unless someone goes, they will live, die, and justly go to hell because they have never trusted in the Savior for the forgiveness of their sins. Three billion people in over 7,000 people groups. So what can we do about it? 
What can we do about that number? Like the psalmist, we should pray. Did you expect that? Like the psalmist, we should pray. Pray what? Like Chick prayed in the prayer earlier from Jesus' words in Matthew 9, 37. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, listen, pray earnestly. You want to know a vision for Living Hope Church? It's right there. That you cut me, you cut my heart, you cut my chest open and see my heart. That's what you're going to find. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray from time to time. No. Pray when you think about it. No. Pray earnestly. That the Lord of the harvest would do this impossible work, this work that we can't do, of giving us a vision, of igniting the fiery vision in our minds that makes us restless. We can't sleep at night because we see people groups and we see nations, we see tongues who don't know Christ. And then to pray that he would use this church. That he would raise up people. He would bring in people, raise them up, and send them out from this, from this church to impact the nations. Now, if the need is so great, why did we plant this church here instead of there? Maybe you were asking yourself that question. The simple answer is because the Lord did not want that. He wanted us to plant here. Missionaries should never send themselves, but should be sent by God through local churches. When we were preparing to plant this church, I went across the globe on a mission trip, and Sarah and I fervently sought God's will on whether or not we should go to the nations. It was humbling, and it was clear that being, being missionaries was not our assignment. But now I'm beginning to see why. Healthy local churches send healthy and effective missionaries who plant healthy local churches. It was humbling. It was humbling to hear the statistics and to have a burning passion in my heart to be a part of taking the gospel to peoples who have never heard it. To go across the globe myself and then to return having a humbling answer in my heart, a settled and humbling answer in my heart that, Matt, that is not your assignment. Now I see it. I'm seeing it. It's it's here. It's what God's doing here. What he's doing here. He is planting a healthy local church so that healthy and effective missionaries would rise up who are sent out, who plant healthy local churches. In sending missionaries, what's our vision? What are we doing? What are we looking for? Who are we looking for? We are not looking for warm bodies and a pulse. We're not looking for 
warm bodies and a pulse. We are looking for church planters. We are looking for saints with mature Christian character. We're looking for Christians who are effective here because that means they'll be effective there. God doesn't need a flurry of immature Christians to go to the nations. He wants and calls for mature Christians to go to the nation so that they can be proper representation of what he's like, who he is, to know his message. So what if you've asked him and discerned that God isn't calling you to the nations? Do I want you to feel guilty? Should you feel guilty? No. Absolutely not. But you should shift your focus instead of going to help send. And I feel confident that is where our church currently is. I see us like like a dog on a chain whose ball is just outside of the reach of the chain's length. We are straining and stretching, and that is a good place to be. Because when the Lord is ready, and make no mistake, he's the head of this church. When he's ready, he will lengthen that chain and extend our reach. I don't think he gives us a burning desire without giving us the blessing to one day see it. So until then, our job is to pray that God would give our church the kind, that kind of missions-minded culture. One of the ways that we are practically seeking to cultivate this heart is by adjusting our church's mission statement. It's still in the works, but this is where we're currently at, and we invite you to speak into it, whether you like it, recommendations you have for it, or whether you don't like it. But what, we're, what we currently have is this. We exist, as a local church, we exist to present to the world the perfection of God for the joy of all peoples through Jesus. We exist. Isn't that exciting? We exist to present to the world perfection of God for the joy of all peoples through Jesus. Our hope is that this mission statement's language of a, with a global perspective will help shape all of our convictions, our decisions, and our goals for the church. At least to our third Point this morning, expecting a global harvest, verses 6 and 7. You know, I just want to pause for a moment and say, I think it is so fitting that on a Sunday when we're talking about sacrificial missions, it's hot in here. Friends, if this is, this is the first inconvenience of many, that we're going to face. 
if we're going to be a church that has far-reaching effect. This is the first. And that should get you excited. We want to be a church that's just not so happy and comfortable in this sweet little room. No, burn. Let, let us sweat if we can be a part of sending laborers into the harvest. Come on! Let's go! Satan, if that's what you've got, if that's all you've got, let's go. Because we want to send the kind of missionaries that scare hell. A little bit of heat does nothing for me. I love sweating up here. I'm going to smell terrible when I step down from here. But it's going to make me feel like we really did something today. Expecting a global harvest. Verses 6 and 7. The psalmist says in verse 6 that the earth has yielded its increase. In other words, following his acknowledgement of God's greatness in verses 1 and 2 and his prayer for God's praises to be sung by peoples all across the planet in verses 3 and 5, he confidently asserts in verse 6 that God will do it. That God will do it. Now, moments ago, he was speaking into the future, but now... Though his feet have not moved and time has not elapsed, he's speaking into the past. What is that about? Well, the psalmist is confident that God's purposes for his praises to be sung by peoples from all over the planet will be fulfilled. When he looks across Israel's agricultural farms, he sees the result of God's shining face, which has produced a bountiful crop. But I'm not a farmer, and neither are any of you, unless someone's visiting today who is. So what does this mean for us? Well, this should remind us of the Great Commission. And it should lift our eyes to see the millions of people made in God's image who are responding to the good news of the gospel and bowing down at his throne. The psalmist confidently asserts at the end of verse 6, God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let the ends of the earth Fear him. Friends, as we prepare to close this morning, I want to extend an invitation to you. An invitation which will be for some of you a reminder of how you are already living. And, and for others, this is an invitation to buy in. Buy in to this vision. To order your life so that this church's order of life would have this vision. The invitation is for your highest goal, your highest goal to be to see God worshipped among all peoples. I am totally fine, my brother. 
Am I about to, look, I'm about to pass out. Thank you, AJ. I'm totally fine, brother. And to pray that God would make our church one that has the reputation as a flagship church for missions. To pray that God would make our church a flagship church for missions. <laughs> one that is feared by hell for the soldiers that it commissions. So where are we going? I want us to close with a video. I want to turn your attentions in just a few seconds to the screens behind me as we watch a short story that we shared last year at our denomination's pastor's conference. This is what God is doing across the globe, and this is what I want us to be a part of in the future. You know, just a few weeks ago when I was in the Philippines, hanging out with Jeffrey Joe and Nilo and their teams, Jeff was telling me about the story of a, a girl called Lily. Lily came along to the church in 1995 in Manila. She came along because it was a bring a friend Sunday. Lily was a practicing lesbian, so she came along with her partner. Somebody had taken the time to invite her. Jeff says, I still remember seeing her. She had that sort of short, spiky hair, and she sat and listened. And as Jeff shared the gospel, he noticed that for Lily, there were tears coming down her face. And that very morning, she came to know Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. Well, what happened next is she needed to be discipled and cared for, and in time, she understood that, hey, my life has got to change as I really follow Jesus as both my Savior and my Lord. The way I'm living needs to change and be different from that of the world. And so she tells her partner that I can no longer be with you and she moves out and her partner becomes very violent with her. So young Lily is now being shipped to different homes of people in the church to keep her safe. Well, Lily decides that, listen, I, I would love to go back to the Mindanao Islands, which is about an hour and a half away. I'd love to go back home because my family don't know Jesus. I don't think they've ever heard of Jesus, and so I would like to go home. And so Jeff and the eldership, they send her back to the Mindanao Islands, and she tells her family about the old, old story. She tells her family about the glories of the gospel, and each and every family member becomes a Christian as she shares it. They all respond in faith. So they all get together, and they're like, we have gotta tell our extended family. And for any of you that know Filipinos, this is hundreds. <laughs> so they go on the move. They are now mobile for the gospel and they particularly go south to different islands down in the south and they start to tell their family members and one by one they all start getting saved. It's one time when they're with these family members down south that this young boy from the Manobo tribe comes in. You don't usually see the Manobo tribe, they are headhunters, they will kill you. So they keep amongst themselves in the mountains, they keep out the way but this young boy had become disorientated and he came down into the village and he met Lily. And so Lily started to care for him and asked him about his life and she told him about this guy that had changed her life, namely Jesus, and this boy became a Christian. <laughs> At which point he said, listen, I need you to come to my tribe and, and tell them about Jesus. That was a bit more of a challenge. <laughs> so Lily decides I'm calling in reinforcements. I'm calling Pastor Jeff and I'm calling in the team. They rock up like the A-team. They're all coming over. 
to the Mindanao Islands. The only way they can get into this tribe is with this boy. If that boy ain't there, they're going to go in and get killed. But this boy is their ticket in. And so they go into the tribe. They go through various rituals. You can ask Jeff about it. Monkey brain might be included. They arrive in this tribe, and Jeff and the team start to proclaim the glories of Jesus Christ. And the tribal leader starts to have tears running down his face. And there and then he puts his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the power of the gospel. Listen, in the Mindanao Islands, Sovereign Grace now has the joy of partnering with 12 churches that all came from Lily. That is the power of the gospel. So how do we close? How do we close this morning's message? I think that we acknowledge that if we're going to have that kind of a culture, if we're going to have that kind of a calling as a church, that we ask God to produce it, give it to us, and then empower it, send us out. And so the, I think the only appropriate way to end the message is, is by prayer, is going to the Lord in prayer. So friends, I want you, I'm going to get on my knees here, and if you have room, and if you want to, get on your knees. And I want you to pray alongside me in faith asking the same things with the same language that I'm going to be using in the prayer, that God would produce this in us and then use us for this, that we would be able to send mobilized missionaries and church planters for his global praise and glory. So let's go to the Lord. Lord, we, we don't get on our knees to be showy, to be like the Pharisees that say, look at the outside of the cup and see a righteousness. No, we are a, we're a body of your people, God, that really, 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 really wants to make an impact on the nations, Lord. And I know, I've seen it, I know that we don't have to be big. I know that we don't have to be influential. And I know that we don't have to be flush with cash. To make this kind of impact that I see, that I see in my mind, that I see, I feel in my heart. All we need is you. All we need is you and your power. And so, Lord, would you please give us this kind of a culture at Living Hope? Give us the kind of a culture where we're a flagship church for missions. Lord, that we see people who come into Living Hope who already have a desire to go to the nations. Lord, that we see people who are saved in this church, who were then feel and hear and sense a call on their life to go to the nations. God, that you would, you would make that a many, a lot of people. And Lord, that you would then use us to train them and prepare them and send them out. To go all across the globe, to be, to be the first people. Blessed are the feet who bring the good news. 
Lord, that, that we would see people and we would send people with the message of the gospel on their lips, that they would see people come to Christ, that our church, that our church could share in that vision. We ask you for that, Lord. We ask you. We ask you and we ask you alone. We go to you. We praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.